The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Let us pray. Lord, we we thank you um, that you love us, that that you've given us your grace uh, and your compassion and your mercy. Lord, we're just in awe of everything that you have done um, through your church, Grace City, here. We just thank you for everyone that, that has come. Lord, we... We pray uh, just that uh, through Randall speaking, that, um, that we just look in our heart of hearts uh, where we need you, Lord, where we need, we need hope. We need to know that we're loved, that we have a purpose, that you care for us. And Lord, we, we just are so thankful um, for what you're doing in our city. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And we're going to have... A- All right. Yeah. Well, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. And I'm humbled because uh, today is our two-year anniversary. And, you know, it's been a long journey getting to this place and being able to visualize what God has done over the past two years and even into the future. I'm excited about what, uh, what, what, what he's done and, and what he continues to do. Um, I... You know, for us, when we started, it started simply in a backyard studying and praying and believing that God was calling us to be in this part of the city, in University City, UTC area. And so we took this leap of faith and said, okay, God, we're going we're gonna to be here. We're going to take root here. And God has done miraculous things since then. And so it's been through a lot of prayers and people that have gone before us that we're able to be here now. And so again, I'm just so thankful for all the sacrifices that have been made up to this point to be able to be two years in and uh, see what God is doing. Um, And so when we started, uh, we started simply with the gospel, uh, with this message of Jesus. And we started by studying this study in in our group called the the Gospel-Centered Life Curriculum. And so when we did that, we, we said, okay, as we go into this second year, we, we want to go back to what we started with. 
Uh, so all the city groups are going to be going through the gospel-centered life curriculum. So I'd encourage you to jump into a city group because we got this gathering. But it's so important to be a part of a group of people uh, that's a lot smaller and you're able to, to have that friendship and, and accountability in your, your walk with Christ. So I encourage you to, to jump into a city group. We've got 10 starting this fall. It's blowing my mind. And uh, we got this uh, series we're going to be going through in the month of October called Everyday Gospel. Uh, for us, we are uh, a gospel-centered church. And so throughout October, what we're going to do is we're going to just study the Bible and, and say, okay, uh, where do we see the message of Jesus all through Scripture? Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout the Scripture. Uh, we're going to be going through that over uh, the next month. But we're also going to be talking about how it practically applies to our lives. Um, what you do every day and how the message of Jesus really practically comes in and applies to that. And so the text that we're looking at today is Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And what we're looking at is the gospel and me. The gospel and me. Some of you might be saying to yourself, well, what, what is the gospel? What is this message of Jesus? Well, the gospel literally means good news. And so today, I'm not going to give you good advice about how to live your life better, but I want to give you good news. And it's, it's an announcement about what God has done to save, rescue, messy, sinful people. That's the gospel. The gospel is all about what God has accomplished, what God has sacrificed. See, the, the message is all about God. And that message is for you. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this. The Apostle Paul writes, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Another translation says, who, who I am the worst. I am the worst. See, what Paul is saying here is that this message of Jesus coming to save sinners wasn't just for some people. He says it was personally for him. It's not an abstract idea that impacts small areas of our lives, whether it be our intellect, because there are a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible. But it's not just that area. It's, it's not just something that affects our emotions or just our behavior or just our Sunday morning. No, it's, it's meant to affect 24-7 every day. It engulfs everything about our lives. And this message is meant to be shared. It's meant to be told. Charles Spurgeon once said, he said, let this be the mark of true gospel preaching. Where Christ is everything, the creature is nothing. Where it is salvation, all of grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, applying to the soul the precious blood of Jesus. And from day one till now and into the future, I commit myself to preaching the gospel, to preaching the message of Jesus. Because I believe that this is the message that changes lives. See, we believe that Jesus is our only hope. And here's the truth. Everyone needs hope. Uh, this past week, I was able to go with my friend, uh, Craig, to a movie called Stronger. And I didn't know much about the movie, but he sent me a text. He said, would you want to go see it? So I said, Okay, and so I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was like, okay, this looks like a pretty good movie. Uh, so I went, 
And the movie was about a guy named uh, Jeff Bowman. Now, Jeff was at the Boston Marathon, April 15, 2013, where there was a, a bombing, a terrorist attack um, right there at the finish line that injured and even killed uh, some people that were standing there as they were watching the race. Jeff was there that day and he was standing and he lost both of his legs in the explosion. And so it's about his journey, about how he moves from this place of accepting where he was at and moving forward with his life. And there's this scene towards the end of the movie where he's at Fenway Park where the Boston Red Sox play. And he was throwing out that day the first pitch. And up to that point, everybody has been so encouraging to him. And, and there was this slogan, Boston Strong. And so with people cheering him on, he throws the pitch. And he's being wheelchaired uh, off throughout the crowd. And people are giving him high fives and thumbs up. And as the crowd surrounds him, there's one guy who jumps out. This part of the movie stuck out to me because this one guy says, I need to talk to you. And so he stops and he starts to listen in. And Jeff looks at this guy and he says, I saw that day, that picture of you as you were leaving just the, the disaster that had happened. And I see you now. And he said, I, my brother was a Marine and he died five years ago from an IED. And I think about my brother and, and him and the explosion, just no one being there for him. But then I looked at you and I saw that picture of you being carted away I said, there's hope. There's hope for the future. There's hope for my life. He's like, you don't even know me, but, but you gave me hope that day. So I just wanted to say, thank you. And Jeff looks at him and says, can I shake your hand? He said, you want to shake my hand? He said, yeah. So he shakes his hand and then he just shows this scene of people just mobbing him saying story after story after story about hope. See, we all need hope. And so today, I want you to know that this text is about hope. So how does this hope become a reality in our lives? Well, we're studying Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, and here's the question. What do we learn about the gospel and ourselves from this passage? Well, we'll learn three things. And so if you're taking notes today or looking at the notes on your app, here's what they are, all three of them. The first one is this, we learn who we are. Second is who God is. And number three, who we become. Who we are, who God is, who we become. So the first point, who we are. Verse one, check it out. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And you look at that and you say, Paul could have picked a lot of different words to describe humanity. 
But he says, you want, you want to know the word that I'm going to pick, the, the picture that I'm going to paint for you? He says, dead. It's not like kind of okay, doing okay, like we can get our lives straight, like any of those types of things. But he says, no, you are spiritually dead. What this word means is it's a state of alienation or separation from God. And verse 1 tells us that it's not just some people who are in this state, but it says that we all, within ourselves, are at a spiritual dead end. Spiritual dead end. You say, well, that's, that's pretty harsh. I'm not sure I believe that. But I want you to consider this for a minute. This is just three words. Costco parking lot. You say, well, people are naturally good people. But when you get into the Costco parking lot, something happens. I've almost died there like five times. I was there yesterday. Just like, people aren't going to let you into that parking space. You can barely cross the street at the Costco parking lot. So you think about it, you're like, okay, what's the spiritual diagnosis that the Bible gives us for humanity? It says this, John Stott, well, actually Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. John Stott, uh, who's a commentator on this, says this is the biblical diagnosis of fallen man and fallen society everywhere. Guys, we, we try to find the solution. We try to find the answer. We try to get things right in our lives. But the Bible tells us that it's a spiritual dead end. Within ourselves, we can't do it. We might say, well, isn't sin an archaic idea? I mean, didn't we pass that a long time ago? Carl Menninger, who was an American psychiatrist and also not, not a believer, not a Christian, wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. And here's what he says. He says, I believe there is sin which is expressed in ways which cannot be subsumed under verbal artifacts such as crime, disease, delinquency, deviancy. There is immorality. There is unethical behavior. There is wrongdoing and I hope to show that there is usefulness in retaining the concept and indeed the word sin. He's saying this is, this is the way that we can describe really what he's studied for years. We say, well, who are we? When it comes down to it, the gospel has to start with the bad news. And here's the bad news. Within ourselves, we're at a spiritual dead end and we're in desperate need of rescue. That's who we are. But then the hope comes in because here's the second point, who God is. And so you can find it in verses four through five. Here's what it says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, right? So like we didn't do anything to get his favor or his love, or earn it in any way. But it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Who is God? 
This verse says that he is rich in mercy. That he loved us with great love. That he made us alive. And then we find this beautiful life-changing statement in verse 5. It says, by grace you have been saved. You see, it starts out with this amazing statement of who God is. It says, but God. Right? Like in your mess. Like so, what goes on in our minds? I've got this habit. I've got this hang up. I can't kick it. What am I going to do? I'm on the verge of divorce. What do I do? I can't get my life together. I can't get it straight. What do I do? See, the Bible doesn't start with us for the answer, but it says, but God as the answer. It's not within ourselves, but it's within him. And so today, how do you view God? Remember I was driving one day, I stopped at a stoplight and there was a car in front of me and on the back of the car, it said these three words. It says, I saw that. And it says, dash karma. I'm like, uh-oh, karma saw me. You know, it was like, what, what's going on? Who's karma? But that is the reality of what karma is. Karma says you get what you deserve. And many of us look at God and we say, we, we just take out the karma part and we just put God in there. We say, well, that, that's, that's got to be who God is. He's got to be that guy that just says, you know, I saw you messing up again and I'm just ready to bring the hammer down on you. That's just got to be who God is. But again, those two words beginning in verse four, shatter that viewpoint in every way when it says, but God, like finding us in our mess, but God. What does he do? He's rich in mercy. He loves us with a great love. He makes us alive. And it says, by grace, you have been saved. See, karma says you get what you deserve, but God gives us the reverse karma. He says, I'll give you what you don't deserve. That's the gospel. That's the truth. That when we come to God and we see him for who he is, he gives us what we didn't earn or deserve. He gives us his love. He gives us his mercy. He gives us his attention. And he says, I will love you based on this standard. You see, those are words of hope. Those are words of rescue. That's who God is. Colossians 1.13 says it like this. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you want to know what God is like? He's not the bumper sticker God that we made him out to be. He's the God who says, I've come to you to rescue you with grace and love and mercy. And when you understand that, we get to the third point, who we become. 
Verse 8 through 9 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So Paul makes it really clear again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So he's like, he's making a desperate appeal. You didn't do anything to, to get yourself here. You didn't get your life together and stamp God on it. No. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this, not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, verse 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. <laughs> what is faith? It's simple, it's trusting, it's believing. And it's not based on our own ability. One of my friends recently told me, he says, where there is no trust, there is no rest. See, what are we striving in right now? Where are we putting our faith? Because God gives us this invitation to put it in him, not in ourselves. Peter O'Brien, who's a commentator on this text, says faith is the inseparable companion of by grace. And together, the two expressions stand in stark contrast to any suggestion of human merit. What he's saying is we can't come before God and say, hey, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished. God, don't you love me now? No, it's coming before him and God saying, is everything that Jesus has done for you, that's the basis that I love you. We do this tradition in our family. It's not the healthiest of traditions, but I started it. It was me. It wasn't mom. It was me. It's called Donut Friday. And my kids love it. They cheer for it. They say it's almost Friday. Is it Friday yet? You know, Donut Friday, Donut Friday, Donut Friday. And so my son's right at the very front leading the charge on Donut Friday. And uh, recently, uh, this past week, I was taking him to school and it was Friday. And it was, I had to make this decision. It was either I take him to the donut store, get him his donut, and then a couple for his sisters, we'll bring him back home. And they can have them later. Um, or I drop him off at school and he gets there on time. So I said, you know, probably the wisest thing is for me to drop him off so he can go to class on time. And then I'll come back with donuts and, you know, drop it off at his class. And so we're driving and, and we stop in front of the school. And I tell my son, I said, okay, Kai, hey, I'm going to drop you off here. You go to class and I'm going to go get what you want. So you tell me what you want. I'll go grab it for you. So he tells me his list of things <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, dad, I trust you. I trust you. You're going to come back. You know, so he's like doing one of these things out of the van and then slowly walking to class. So I go to the donut shop. I check everything off his list, get a couple things for his sisters. I come back to the front office. I go through, go to his class. I bring it. And lo and behold, I don't know how he does it, but he is at the door, <laughs> looking outside, checking, waiting to make sure that dad is coming through. 
on that promise. And so we lock eyes. He, he's like so excited. He goes to tell, my dad's outside. My dad's outside. So he goes outside and I say, all right, here's your donuts. Here's your Gatorade because he always asks for a Gatorade. Here's your Gatorade. All right, so we're going to go. I know it's so bad. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> said, here you go. And um, so he goes outside. He starts eating the donut when he's supposed to be in class. And then somehow one of his friends comes out. And his friend looks over and he says, whoa, you got a donut. That's awesome. Whoa, did your dad bring you a donut today? He's like, yeah. So he starts telling his friend about it. Donut Friday and all that. So he looks at me and I look at him and I'm like, all right, I got to go now. But he goes on to tell his friend about how great dad is for bringing donuts and coming through on that. Here's the thing I know. My son didn't do nothing. He did did nothing to make Donut Friday happen. (laughs) Right? Like he did nothing. Okay. He just came out and experienced the goodness. <laughs> He's just waiting at the door, looking outside, trusting, believing, having faith that his dad's going to come through. What are we saved by? By trusting, by believing, not by earning, working, and striving on our own strength, but just believing that our dad's going to come through. And you know what happens in your life when, you, when, when, that, when, when that change happens? You start telling people about your dad. You start telling people about how great your dad is, right? Like, he's awesome. It, it just flows out of your life. Because you say, it wasn't me. It was all him. See, this verse tells us that faith, the faith that we have isn't because of us. It's not a result of works. It's because of God. It's because God shows himself faithful over and over and over again to the point where Jesus says, you can have the faith of a mustard seed. He said, he'll move mountains. And how does this change our lives? We realize that we're saved not by our self-righteousness, not by our ability, not by our strength, not by looking down on other people and say, why can't you get your life straightened out? No, we become people of grace who say, there's no way I could have done this. It was only because of Jesus that I'm alive, that I'm here. My life is a gift. It's all a gift from God. Barna Research in 2007 did a study on how people that are not Christians view Christians. And it says that only 3% of 16 to 29-year-olds in 2007 expressed favorable views of Christians, 3%. Common negative perceptions among non-Christians is that Christians are judgmental, 87%. Hypocritical, 85%. Old-fashioned, 78%. This verse should shatter any of those ideas 
about who we should be. A prideful Christian should never be in the same sentence. There's no room for any of that because we are people who are saved by grace. See, when you become a person of grace, you say, look, it wasn't me. It was all him. And you stand under this banner of saying, look at how great our God is. Not under the banner of look at me and how great I am. See, that's the message of the gospel. And so just some takeaways today. How does the gospel help us to respond to the everyday challenges of life? Well, here's the first one. Because of Jesus, I can know, number one, I'm loved and valued. I'm loved and valued. For some of us, you might have grown up in a home where you were never told that you were loved. Like, I love you. You, you never experienced that feeling. But it says here that with great love, God has loved us. My daughter, Elle, who's five, we have our conversations, and one of the conversations was this. I said to her one day, I said, you know that daddy loves you, right? And she says, yes, because you tell me I'm beautiful. Even a five-year-old with these simple truths of just being exposed to and hearing it again and again and again can know that she's loved and valued because of truth. Truth. See, how does God do that in our lives? He, he does that here. See, it's, it's the but God moments where he keeps speaking to you again and again. You say, man, I, I just can't get through this. But I would ask you to replace that with the, the but God. Like I'm on the verge of divorce, but God. I was going to take my life, but God. I was so depressed and stressed out, but God. See, that's when you start speaking to yourselves the truth that God can rescue you, that God brings hope. And he speaks to us in those dark moments because just the other day, my daughter got an outfit on which she did not like. She hated it. And she's walking around and saying, ah, I'm not looking cute. Ah, I do not look cute. <laughs> and she just keeps repeating it to herself again and again. I look at her and I said, because I had to go, I was leaving. I was walking out the door. I said, stop. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Daddy loves you. You're beautiful. You need to keep hearing it again and again. You know, need to know that you are valued and loved. Because in this verse right here, it's so transformative. The gospel, the good news is we're loved. Even through the mess. Even through the struggle. And with that, the second takeaway is this. I have no room for pride. I have no room for pride. Christians believe 
The only way they could ever have been saved is because the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Because as Paul's writing this, he is painting a very, 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 very dark picture about where the Ephesians were spiritually before they met Jesus. He says, I don't want you to forget this. Right, as you start looking around at other people around you and you start to say, well, my life's starting to get better. I don't want you to look around at other people and say, hey, you need to be like me. No. He says, you once walked in the same shoes. You all once lived in this. But God, you see, I have no room for pride. And today, I just want to encourage you as God starts to humble us and say, okay, Lord, where am I at spiritually? There's a really good book that's helped me along the way. It's The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And we give it away for free at our community tent. I would encourage you, if you haven't read it yet, it'll take you 30 minutes. But I remember getting to the end of the book and just being in tears because I had to realize that my life was not based on what I have done or can do or my abilities. But I'm out of the courtroom and God loves me based on all that Jesus has done for me. There's no room for pride. The third takeaway is this, I am a work in progress. I am a work in progress. See, this is, this is the... The grace part. I was walking with uh, a new friend yesterday at the Teen Challenge 5K. Now, Teen Challenge is a ministry that we partner with. There are a lot of guys that go through this program here in our city. And these are guys who've been, I mean, major, majorly, majorly addicted to some heavy drugs, selling, all a part of it. Um, really on destructive paths in life. And um, I was talking with, with one guy and he said, you know, I, it's like I've seen guys come and go from this program. And I asked the, the coordinator, I said, how do, you, how do you do it, man? How do you see it? There's guys who come to the program again and again. They're like, they get clean. Their life starts getting straightened up. And then it's like, they go back into the world and then it just hits them again and they come back again and again. He says, every time I see them, I remember that it's God's grace that we're saved. It's God's grace that doesn't give up on us. See, this is the beauty of the gospel that God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't say, all right, you're kicked out now. But he says things like this in a Philipp- Philippians 1.6. He says, I am... And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is the gospel that God is chiseling out a masterpiece in your life. And you don't see everything. You don't see all the parts of it. But he's at work in a powerful way. And he's saying, I'm not gonna give up on you. I'm gonna love you through it all. Say, how's that possible? How's that possible that God could love me like that? It's possible because God didn't just say it. He showed it. He 
He says, I'm not just going to tell you from heaven, but I'm going to come down from heaven to earth. And I'm going to become one of you. And I'm going to live the perfect life, the life you should have lived. And what happens to me is instead of you getting the punishment that you deserve, because it says we're all children of wrath, he says on the cross, you want to know what that is? It's not just a man hanging there. It's the wrath of God being poured out on the Son of God. And as he hangs there, he says, I'm taking all the punishment that we should have received on himself. It was poured out all on him. And three days later, he said, I'm going to rise. You see, Buddha's last words were strive unceasingly. He says, you, you want to get to that place? You want to know what your life is about? He says, strive unceasingly. But Jesus says something completely radical and revolutionary on the cross when he says, as he's dying there for our sins, it is finished. John 19, verse 30. And so now, as Jesus dies on the cross, says it is finished, rises three days later and puts that seal of approval that, yep, it's true. He says, now you can live under the banner with the gospel saying, it is finished. God's done it. He's changed my life. And so Grace City, we're people of grace. We're children of grace. We're children of God's grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We couldn't have done it ourselves. We were at a spiritual dead end, but because of the gospel, you've changed us. And so, Lord, I pray that today we receive with faith what you've done for us. I pray that if there's anyone here who's never received you, Lord, that they don't walk away today without making that personal decision. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.